amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. And welcome to Black Free Thinkers on Blog Talk Radio. This is my first weekend back or my first Sunday back. I've been gone for a little bit. Wasn't feeling too good, but... Uh, we're doing a little bit better today. So how's everybody doing? I'm sure you missed me as much as I missed you. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for the support. You know, we appreciate you, and we appreciate all that you do. So, you know, just to kind of give you all some updates to some things um, that's happening. People of Color Beyond Faith, we will be holding our second annual conference Instead of the prior arrangements that we had, we've moved it, and it will be in the DMV area. And so more information about that is to come, but we've made some changes, like I said, some restructuring, and the national conference, which will be October of every year, will be held in the DMV area. We're just going to station that one there, but we will have a regional conference, like April, May, uh, starting next year. And the first one will be in Philadelphia, and that's the one that will move. The regional conference, the smaller one, will move, so we'll have a chance to, you know, take it around to different places. But just wanted to give you all an update on that. Uh, We have a paper as well. We started a paperly, and it's called Moving Social Justice Daily. So if you want to check that out, that would be absolutely wonderful. And we also will, we have a blog talk radio um, um, station for people of color beyond faith. And so we're going to be conducting interviews and things of that nature on the podcast. We're going to start back up with the webcast and we'll be fundraising as well. So, you know, like I said, we've had some changes, but they're good changes. You know, um, I applaud these changes. But like I said, the national conference every October will be held in a DMV area that's just going to be stationed on the East Coast. The regional one, the regional conference, like I said, April, May of every year, starting in 2016, that is the one that will move. So the first one will be held in Philadelphia, April, May of next year. We're finalizing some of the plans, and so we'll get that to you as it comes along. But Again, we'll be starting up the webcast again. We'll be starting up the podcast. In addition to that, we have the paper lead. And so we just appreciate all of you guys. And sometimes you'll hear us refer to it as Social Justice Summits. Again, Social Justice Summits. But, you know, our theme is moving social justice. So this year we'll be moving social justice too. For those that joined us last year, we appreciate it. You know, stick with us. You know, this year is going to be, you know, just as exciting, if not more so. So we're looking forward to seeing you. We're looking forward to being a part of your life. We're looking forward to 
you know, communing together, you know, once again. And because last year it definitely was empowering, it was life-changing. How would you categorize it, Raina? I mean, it was, I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, I learned a lot and met a lot of really, really interesting people. I'm looking forward to this year. Excellent. So, so yeah, so we're looking forward to this year, and, you know, we're looking for, actually, let me announce that. We're looking for, you know, some local talent in the DMV area, and, you know, we're looking for some people who actually want some believers to be on these paddles because we're trying to balance it out. And, again, it's beyond faith. So we're not looking at specific ideologies, if you will. I mean, we're not going to give the microphone and the floor to someone who wants to do, you know, a 30-minute fire and brimstone, you know, a holiness or hell sermon. That's not how that works. But we are open to people who are open-minded, and, again, we're humanists. So you have secular humanists and you have Christian humanists. And I think that we could all get together and, you know, converse and dialogue and like I said, we're trying to bridge the gaps. And generally, in many cases, that gap is a matter of misunderstanding or miscommunication. It can be a number of things. But, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to move forward, and we're just looking forward to the future. So it's it's been interesting. It's been interesting. I, I enjoyed my last few weeks away. I had a chance to rest and you know, read, and, you know, a number of other things. But, um, yeah, went out yesterday for a little while, and uh, not quite sure what I'm doing today. So, oh, yeah, speaking of that, it is 8 a.m. Chicago time. All complaints, you all take all those to Raina. She chose this ungodly time of the morning. So you take that up with her, Raina. Whatever. <laughs> oh, so that's your answer, and that's what you're sticking with? Yep. Oh, well. Deal with it. <laughs> oh, well, see, the good thing about it is I can take a nap after we're done. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So today we wanted to, let me see, were there any other announcements, Rain? I'm trying to remember. It's been so long. It's been a Okay, well, I mean, you all have covered everything. And if if there's anything else, I'm sure we'll we'll remember towards the end. Oh, yeah. So you all can find our, you know, Facebook page. Just look up People of Color Beyond Faith. You can look that up on YouTube and Twitter. You know, all of that information is out there, as well as Black Freethinkers. We have a public profile on Facebook as well. So you may want to take a look around and see. So, you know, I've been promising to do a show um, about the N-word, and the next series after this we'll be talking about Jim Crow. But for the N-word, it may be two shows, maybe three. It really depends on how much of the material, you know, I decide to present because it's, it's a lot here. It's just really interesting, you know, the history of this word. And I know there are some people out there that are like, why are you calling it the N-word? Why don't you just say the word nigger? 
And there are some people that are like, you know, we need to abolish that word. We need to eradicate it from the language. We need to eradicate it from, you know, uh, just the society. And so you have differing opinions out there. Um, and what's interesting is with the N-word, it can mean many things in many different um, situations, you know, in context. And so that's why they call it a protein word. And protein, P-R-O-T-A, I'm sorry, P-R-O-T-E-A-N. And basically it means to be able to change frequently or to change easily. You know, the meanings can change up. I would so, think it would be protein. Say that again? Protein. Sorry. I said I think it's protein, not protein. Yeah, you're right. It's protein. It's one of those days. Let me put my glasses on. So, yeah. Thank you, Brenda. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so it's versatile, flexible, all of that fun stuff. Yeah, I'm starting a new show out right, huh? So, <laughs> oh, it's so funny. So, I mean, the thing is, is that when we use that particular euphemism, you know, the N-word, do, you, do people have the right to eradicate that word? Do you feel that that word should be eradicated from our vocabulary? I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it needs to be eradicated from the I – I, honestly, with or without eradicating the word from the vocabulary, it has absolutely nothing to do with um, eradicating racism. You know what I mean? Like, for mm-hmm. me, it's not so much about the word. It's about It's about – dealing with a system of inequality based on race that exists throughout the world. You know what I mean? And, right. you know, without without that, I don't really give a shit about, <laughs> you know, whether or not we, right. we, you know, stop using the N-word. I mean, you know, people think it. You know what I mean? So Right. You know, right. So I guess the question is, yeah, you know, you have some people – that use the word in a negative sense, like, you know, I've been called the N-word by, you know, white people a few times in my lifetime, more so since I've been in this community than anywhere else, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we've heard, you know, people of color, black people, use it in the same context. So, Mm -hmm. you know, is it viewed the same or, or is it still just negativity? when you hear a person of color using it in that same particular context? I mean, it generally isn't used in the same exact context, you know, by, you know, by black people when they use the N-word. I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes it, is. Um, it really just depends on um, what, the, what the person who's using the word is trying to convey. You know, sometimes it, it is being used as a term of endearment. Um, you know, it's, you know, although, you know, some people may not understand how that's possible or whatever, um, you know, language is, is you know, it's mutable. It, it changes. You know what I mean? And it is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's even though, like, we were just talking about, like, how, you know, should we get rid of the word um, nigger? Well, you know, now people are, you know, using words in place of nigger that basically are, are being used the same way that nigger would be used, Right. You know, so you uh-huh. had like Richard Sheridan and, and, and the whole thug situation. You know what I mean? With people calling black people thugs, um right. you know, trying to make them seem as though they are criminal. Um, it's really about criminalizing and dehumanizing black people 
in a particular way. But when black people tend to use it, we're not we're not really using it in a dehumanizing way. I mean, not for the most part. It's usually being used as, um, you know, almost like a I don't know, like I mean, I can't even I can't describe it. But it's not it's not the same. You know what I mean? And you know, I mean, I use that term from time to time, but it's not like I don't use it frequently, and I definitely don't use it. Um, you know, in a in a sort of negative way towards my friends. But you know, I grew up in a hip hop generation. You know what I mean? So right. sometimes you know, sometimes you say, What's up? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, <laughs> and that's just how it goes. You know? Right, but that's why we were talking about, you know, it it being, you know, changeable. How, you know, it means different things depending on the context and the conversation and the location and the audience. So it means different things. So it just, you know, but should we view that word? I definitely don't use it with everybody. Yeah. (laughs) That's the other Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, should the word, you know, nigger be, you know, a fighting word, you know, when people use it or let's say someone that's not of color uses it? towards a person of color, does that justify provocation or, you know, a fighting word? You know, what is your opinion on that? I mean, basically, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then even for that, no, I mean, I'm not saying, okay, like, okay, so here's my position on violence. My position on violence is that, you know, um, is, is basically that, you know, it happens. Like, you know, people are human beings and, you know, um, there's a history of, you know, white people using that word towards people of color. And a lot of times it ends up with somebody's neck in the knee. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or somebody being or somebody being beaten or someone being dragged or someone, you know, so there's a, a violent history in terms of um, white people using that word. You know what I mean? So for me, it's not, it's not to say that, like, all violence is justified you know, when that word is used, but I do understand, and it's, you have to understand that for black people hearing a white person use that word, it's it's like yelling fire in a crowded, in a crowded theater, you know what I mean? You just, you just don't, you just didn't do it, you know what I mean? Right, right, it's just, it's I mean, just if really. If a white person use that word, it automatically, it automatically um, makes me, um, you know, much more aware of what's going on in my circumstances. And, I, and I, it primes me for violence. You know what I mean? Because now I'm thinking that something is possible, you know? Like something right. might so, jump off. Yeah, depending on the situation, if a white person uses it, it may be used in a destructive manner. Right. Okay. So because, it's now, just, because now the way I'm looking at it, I feel like you're 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 using it to dehumanize me, and you know what usually follows dehumanization is violence. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. the next thing I'm thinking is is that things may go that way. You know. So. Right. Right. Yeah. So you know, in this book, and you all may want to check this out. The name of the book is Nigger. The Strange Career of a Troublesome Word, and it was written by Randall Kennedy. And again, the name of the book is Nigger, The Strange Career of a Troublesome Word, Randall Kennedy. And what's interesting is, you know, it was talking about the etymology of the word and saying that nigger basically derives from the Latin word for the color black, niger. 
right? Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, there are different variations um how it's spelled, you know, and I'm not gonna really go into that because people, you know, pretty much know you should know. Well, I would think that you would know. I can't make any assumptions like that. But the different ways in which it was spilled and, you know, how some people try to get around it. No? Put it down. Put it. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry, Kim. Let me mute myself. I'm... Okay. <laughs> so um, John Rolfe, you know, when he recorded in his journal the first shipment of Africans to Virginia in 1619, you know, he basically listed them as niggers. N-E-G-A-R-S. And so it says, you know, in 1689, inventory of an estate in Brooklyn, New York made mention of an enslaved nigger boy, N-I-G-G-O-R. You know, and so it's talking about, um, you know, just different people and how they wrote the word and how they spelled the word. And it says here in, you know, um, Noah Webster, you know, Webster Dictionary, um, referred to Negroes as, Negers, N-E-G-E-R-S. And so it's just interesting, you know, these different, you know, variations of spelling, even though the context, you know, pretty much, um, you know, kind of fell in line. But it says that no one really knows when, you know, that word, you know, Niger, turned derisively into nigger and what happened. Mm-hmm. So it went just describing a color to a pejorative. And so we need to, you know, pay attention, do some research, go back and look it up because it's just really interesting, you know, when you start reading about these things and trying to get a better understanding as to, you know, why, you know, people are upset, um, you know, when others say this word. There are some people of color that are upset when people of color, um, you know, say the word. So, you know, it says... um, it's basically a dignified argumentation. And so it's just interesting. Um, and Samuel Sewell, you know, that's what he called it when he was denouncing slavery in his book, The Selling of Joseph. So it's just it's interesting um, how all of this has come about. You back, Raina? Yes, I'm back. Okay. <laughs> oh, so Keeper was being bad? No, it's something else. Sorry about that. Oh, no, that's okay. That's okay. But, you know, I'm just talking about the different ways, you know, in which, you know, the, the N-word was spelled and, you know, how it went from being a color to, you know, a pejorative. And it's just, it's really, you know, mind-boggling because I wonder why people want to say it now. You have some white people and some, you know, other people. I've seen Latino people um, wanting to use that word. And, you know, basically their justification is, well, if black people use that word, why can't we use it? So, I mean, what would you say to that response, Raina? Uh, uh, basically, <clears throat> my response to that is, is why would you want to? You know what I mean? What is What is it that you specifically get out of that word? You know? Because... Mm-hmm. Black people, because black people who use it with one another, they're not using it the same way. You know what I mean? That's what, that's what right. I'm, you know, established. You know what I mean? So what is it that you specifically get from using that word? That's what I would want to Right. 
Right, right, because when people, you know, when white people use that word, we usually look at it as, you know, contempt. So, you know, when they against us, it's like, you know, um, it's like it's contempt, and you're sitting there, and, and they know that that is one word. If nothing else, that, you know, that will get our attention. It'll make us pay attention, as you said earlier, pay attention to your surroundings, pay attention to, you know, where you are, who's saying such things. Um, it's just an attention getter. And, you know, when it's used in that context, it is intent. You know, it's intent on getting your, you know, your attention. And so it was interesting because it was talking about a guy called Hosea Easton. And basically um, he said that, um, you know, the earliest instruction for white adults gave to white children prominently featured the word nigger. And adults reprimanded them, you know, white adults reprimanded their white children for being, quote, worse than a nigger, mm-hmm. you know, end quote, for being ignorant as niggers right. or having no more credit than niggers. And then they would discipline their children by telling them that unless they behaved, they would be carried off by the old nigger or made to sit with the niggers or consigned to the nigger seat, you know, which was a place. Right. So it's it's just interesting. I mean, people, you know, people use these words and not necessarily understand the meaning of it or where it came from. And one thing that I'm seeing lately, you know, as of late, I'm seeing more and more people use the word coon. And especially, you know, I see more and more black people saying that about other blacks. Um, Would you say it held the same weight, Rena? Um, I, I definitely, I mean, in terms of black people talking to one another, I definitely don't think that, um, coon is a term of endearment the way that black people use the N-word sometimes, right? Um, I right. definitely think that it's, it's used more as a, as a negative, uh, as a pejorative term. Um, and I've seen a lot more of that in the um, black atheist community than I would like to, um, than I would have liked to, you know. Um, it just, I don't know. I don't know if there's just a lack of awareness of, like, history <laughs> among some of these people or what, but... Um, I don't know how anyone can act as though Coon is anything but negative, you know? So. Right, you know, because I've seen it used a lot. I mean, and, and again, to know better is to do better. Because I know some people that used to use the word, they don't use it anymore. And it's just interesting. Um, personally, I can say that since being in the secular community and being out as, you know, a humanist and free thinker, you know, I've educated myself more and more on different subject matters, and it's allowed me to grow. It has also allowed me to share this information with other people because, you know, I really enjoy reading, you know, these books and sharing the information with you guys. But, you know, we still have a long way to go. We still have a long way to go. Um, you know, I'm going to do another show after I get done with Jim Crow. I'm going to call it Whiteface, and you'll understand why. I'll put it in context later on in the show here. 
but it's just really interesting because, you know, when you talk about the word nigger, you know, it's basically part of the American culture, almost every, you know, aspect of it. And so, you know, literature, you know, I know some people had a problem with Mark Twain using the word in his book, you know, and, and they were trying to get the word banned from the book. But, you know, when he was using it in that book, he was using it to illustrate you know, how people of color were being treated and spoken to, you know, in the past, and, you know, during that time. You know, it's been in political debates, you know, it's been in cartoons and in songs, you know. And so it's just really interesting because right here in the book, it talks about some lyrics in some of these shows, in some of these songs that basically, you know, um, made fun of black folks. You know, one was called Philadelphia Riots. And, you know, one is called, I guess it wasn't the niggas this time. Mm. The Nick Gal's dream. Who's that nigga this era peeping? I can't even get this right. You know, um, run, nigga, run. And just a bunch of little things here. Um, wow. And one song here, he's just a nigger. And it went like this with the chorus. It says, he's just a nigger when you said that you said it all. Mm. And so, you know, one thing that I remember hearing growing up is like when we used to play catch or it or hide and seek or what have you, you know, we would, you know, basically put our feet in and, you know, count it off. And so whoever was left there last, you know, had to go and find everyone else. But I remember one of the little songs that we would sing would be any, any, many, many, mo. Right. Remember yeah, that? I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. I found out where that song came from, I was I was like, Oh wow. Right. You know? I exactly. mean even the ice cream song. Yeah. You know what I mean? The ice cream song and yeah, I mean it's just it's a whole bunch of things that, you know, we don't we don't realize are um emblematic of our history, um, with race and racism in this country. You know? Exactly. It's embedded. It is interwoven in the fabric of this particular country. And this is why I just sit back and I'm like, we need to, you know, we need to read more and put more of this information out there. You know, sometimes, you know, you know, you and I have had this conversation and it's like, you know, a lot of the information that we feel people should know, in many cases, they don't know. So we do these shows, and sometimes it feels like, you know, we're going in circles. And, you know, you should hear the conversation right now, and I have sometimes. It's like, I'm tired of talking about that, Kim. And I'm like, so am I. Apparently they ain't got it yet. You know, one thing I have to realize that there are some people who are willfully ignorant. doesn't matter how many times we explain it. They have no intention of, you know, correcting themselves or getting a better, you know, understanding of whatever it is we're talking about. And so um, it's just interesting. And, you know, there's some poems that, you know, it was talking about some of the Internet sites out here, you know, and unfortunately in the state of Illinois it was a map and it was showing, you know, um, basically every state in the United States and what they search for the most. Well, Illinois was number one in searching for racist jokes. You know, 
Texas was number one in do I have herpes. So, you know, it's just interesting. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, luggage, baby. But, yeah, so it's just it's interesting. But, you know, they have, you know, websites on the Internet, and all they do is tell, you know, you know, jokes, racist jokes. And... Mm-hmm. Hmm? I said, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, they get a lot of, you know, traffic. And so they're making money, you know. And one of the jokes here that he gave in the book was, how do you make a nigger nervous? Take him to an auction. Oh, you know? Yeah. So it's just it was, it's just crazy. That's what I'm telling people. You know, you need to get out of here. You need to read and and see what's happening because there's a lot of things that we talk about. You know, one of the words that we hear, you know, basically from other people is white trash. And basically, you know, when you hear someone call, you know, a white person white trash, basically, you know, they're saying that they're poor, uneducated, you know, um, a bad reputation or what have you. And so it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, in your opinion, right now. Were you tying that back to, like, the N-word with white ball and talking about white trash? Because I'm confused. Oh, no, no, no. It's a point. I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. Yeah, I'm going this, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but basically, when you, you know, with the white trash, you know, that's when certain white people are trying to distance themselves from, you know, well, yeah, the white Yeah, yeah, I know that. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out how that, how that relates at all to the N-word because being white trash is still you know, better, you know what I mean, in terms exactly. of, you know, how that's people view it, view things, yeah. yeah. Right, and that's where I was getting ready to go. You know, there are some people that feel that the word, you know, cracker or white trash, they feel that it's, you know, it's, it's as hurtful as the N-word, and it really isn't, huh. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's where I was going. I was just kind of laying out, the you know, the groundwork for okay. that there, but... <laughs> but you know it's just interesting because um, remember Strom Thurmond. Sorry, I'm a gun jumper. Sorry. Oh, that's all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Strom Thurmond remembers um, the senator and how mm-hmm. after he the way we found out he had a biracial daughter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So you know he was a white supremacist, but he claimed that he never used the N word, and so you know. After he passed away, and we found out about his daughter. I don't daughter, think anybody mother. believes that, though. I don't think exactly. he actually believes that either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he said that with a straight face. It just goes to show you what good liars politicians can be. Man, yeah. you know what? His story, and he told it his way, and I don't mm. know any better. I just sat down and had tea and crumb cakes with him, so. You know, Look, I don't have to have I don't have to sit down and have tea and crumb and, and crumb cake with him. I know that he ran on a platform of segregation, so I exactly. know he used the N word. I don't know. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, it just you know it talks about it. You know, it talks about white people and you know you know that are authority figures, if you will, and how mm-hmm. at one point in time it was safe for them to call black people niggers. And, I mean, right. we even had an example of that in Mississippi where the young man that worked at that at some type of 
you know, factory or plant. And basically he was, what happened in that situation? He was in the lunchroom. And I believe he was in the lunchroom and, and one of the coworkers said that, you know, niggers aren't allowed in here. I don't know. It was something crazy. But, you know, what I find interesting is that more and more white people are feeling comfortable saying this word. As a matter of fact, you know, we have a couple of favorite people in this community that likes to use that word. You know? And, you mean, by favorite, you mean people we absolutely hate? Yes. <laughs> okay. You know, I won't say I won't say hate, but I what I will say is that. Oh, okay. You know, well, I will say hate because I don't <laughs> like Dusty. So I hate so him. You, well, yeah, I'm not no. saying we're gonna be hanging out or anything like that, but no. you know, to me, <laughs> hating someone, so hating someone that just takes too much energy. It's just better to be indifferent and act like they don't <laughs> exist. So, I don't think it um, takes the whole, look, I hate a lot of different things. Like, you know, there's some things, you know, I'll eat and I'll put it in my mouth and I'll instantly vomit. You know what I mean? I don't think about it all the time. But you know what I mean? When I see Dusty, it makes me want to vomit. You know what I mean? So, there you go. I don't think about him. But, yeah. <laughs> he's he's well, just one of those people. Thing. He's just repulsive, you know? Right. And what I found what I found interesting with that individual with Dusty was last you know whenever that was this was a few years ago two years ago or so when you know he was calling black Christians Uncle Tom and you know you had people in the community saying oh that he's right and blah 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 and then later on down the line which was was that this year or last year when he called um, oh that was this year he was talking about MLK. And he was saying he was going to celebrate the holiday with some watermelon, fried chicken, and having sex with a white woman. And what I found interesting was some of the same people who were defending him last year were now trying to condemn him. And we're, like, looking around, like, he's been saying this crap all along. We've been condemning this behavior all along. But now that you want to, you know, um, raise your profile, now you're outraged. How about that? How does that work? Yeah. Well, not just you that, know. but I also think it has something to do with the fact that, you know, Martin Luther King uh, is a beloved figure in, uh, you know, U.S. culture and history. So I think for some for some people it was just the fact that he dared to insult Martin Luther King, you know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we have a monument to him now. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, right, 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 know, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, and every state has a street called MLK or Martin Luther King or something like that. Right, so, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it's interesting. But, yeah, I mean, he's just a repulsive individual, and, you know, he's basically one of those people who doesn't understand why he can't use the N-word. As a matter of fact, I right. think he did a video a long time ago where he was saying that um, atheists are the new niggers, which, uh, right. which, was, really, uh, which was really annoying. For so many reasons. Well, I mean, but, you know, they were saying gays were the new niggers and atheists were the new niggers. And at one point in time, they were saying that women are the new niggers. So, you know, it's, it's regurgitated, you, you know. know what, 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 what they leave out, though, is that there are some people that fit into all of those categories. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's why, you know, we've talked about it you know, about when you're in that marginalized group 
and, you know, you have more than one check in a marginalized box. It's like, right. what's really going on over here, you know? So right. that's why about intersectionality so much. You know, we can yeah, talk about exactly. it in a positive way or we can talk about it in a negative way. It just really mm-hmm. depends on what the conversation is at that moment. But what's interesting here is what I'm going to read to you and, you know, how it relates to this day. And I want to see if you all catch this. So it was, you know, a senator, his name was Benjamin Tillman, and he lived in South Carolina. And so he was talking about how Booker T. Washington had been invited to the White House and had dinner with the president, and this guy predicted the action of President Roosevelt in entertaining that nigger will necessitate our killing a thousand niggers in the South before they will learn their place again. Yeah, I've heard that one before. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, just... it, was, it was also the, it was the reason why um, Frederick Douglass and his when he was um, marshal of uh, Washington D.C. Um, he was uh, or federal marshal rather. He um, one of his one of the jobs of the federal marshal is to greet foreign dignitaries, and um, mm-hmm. so he was he was asked to not do that, but I think he still ended up doing that anyway. Right. Um, but yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, just, huh? I said, yeah, it's unfortunate, though. Yeah. It, exactly. That was, you know, that's, that's how people saw us. They saw us as a, and they still see us, I mean, you know, um, arguably, I think, on the whole. I mean, you know, there's questions about, you know, even, um, you know, all of these videos that are coming out of these um, black people who are being, you know, murdered by police officers or people who are ostensibly law enforcement or, you know, whatever, um, you know, what, whether that, that is helpful, you know what I mean? And, you know, if that just, um, if, if all of that is just really justifying a, a perception that black people are, um, expendable, you know what I mean? That they're, um, or that they're criminal or that they deserve death, right? you know what I mean? Or that by making exactly. or, or 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 that we're just making entertainment out of out of these uh, people losing their lives, you know. But um, that's true. And, and you know, yeah. and I think part of I think I think I, even though some people feel that like you know at least it's drawing attention to the subject, I think on a certain level, um, there's a lot of people who are unaffected by it because well, they still think of us as being less than. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, like I said, while we're in 2015, you know, they were having these issues in 1912 and before then. Because, you know, in the book it talks about how um, when the House of Representatives was debating about, you know, the federal anti-lynching bill, that when, Mm -hmm. you know, a representative from Wisconsin rebuked the representative from Mississippi for blaming lynching on Negro, you know, criminality, that the black people that were sitting in a balcony started cheering. And mm-hmm. that basically, you know, uh, the represent- some of the white Southern representatives or politicians, they got up and shouted from the floor, sit down, niggers. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just mm-hmm. interesting because, you know, while, you know, this was in the early 1900s and we're in 2015, we're still dealing with the same issues. Mm. And that's the reason why, you know, I look at the so-called black leadership in this country 
And I'm like, nothing has changed, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of the progress that we had made was taken back. You know, if you go back mm-hmm. and you look at, you know, the era with Ronald Reagan, you know, that really set us back. And with this last mortgage bust, you know, that killed a lot of black wealth. Right. And I think it's important that people understand, you know, um, what's happening and how this is not anything new. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's nothing new. And so, you know, you definitely, like I said, you know, I would encourage people to go and, you know, read about this because, you know, even during that time when they wanted to make changes and, um, you know, talk to the black community or to get the black community to agree, back then they had to talk to, you know, representatives of the NAACP. And so, you know, with some of the, you know, representatives, the white representatives, they would get angry and say that that they can't do anything without talking to that nigger first. And they were referring to Walter White from, you Mm -hmm. know, NAACP. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, again, I mean, kind of have the same scenario now because, you know, with Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, but Al Sharpton in particular, you know, he is the self-appointed you know, um, civil rights leader, you know, which I find very, very disheartening, you know. Mm -hmm. And, but, I mean, they were having some of the same issues then. And so I guess my question is, you know, what are we going to do? I mean, we see more people protesting out here and getting out here and protesting. It's warmer outside, so you're going to see more protests. You're going to see more people joining these protests but, again, this is why we caution that it should not be based on a particular individual or a particular um, organization, that it should be based on issues. But, you know, they don't hear me. So it's just really interesting there, um, you know, because they were dealing with race baiting then and we deal with race baiting now. Um, and it's just... I don't know, it just saddens me, if you will. So, yeah, you know, at one point in time, because I I know I talked about this before, about how they basically shut the school systems down in the South. So they took all of the, you know, the, the federal funds that were stipulated for public schools and redirected them to private schools. So, you know, black children were basically, you know, cheated out of an education because public schools were closed, while the white schools were, you know, thriving and taking all of the money, you know, the private schools. And you see some of the same things with the charter school situation. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about today. And so it's just, you know, looking at all of this, you all go and look up the N-word, you know, look up nigger, look up you know, the history of it, where it came from, where it, you know, what it means, because I just believe that with that information, you know, it'll make you understand things a little bit better and just give you a more solid argument when people, you know, use these words against you. Because, you know, when you're treated like a second-class race and, and you complain about it, you know, they're going to say, well, where did that come from? 
but it comes from this country where we're not even really considered, you know, human beings. I mean, even to this day, you hear people saying that we're like animals, and you'll hear them call us animals. And especially with some of the issues, you know, they'll say that, you know, that black male was like the Incredible Hulk or the Tasmanian Devil. And so it's just really interesting. I mean, are we are we superhuman right now? No. Of course not. Of course not. Do you think they believe they were superhuman, or are those just excuses? I mean, I think I think I think they do. I mean, I really do. I think that they they believe that. I think, um, but that's you know that's you know hundreds of years of conditioning. You know what I mean? I mean, think about. Um, I mean, I don't know if any of you heard about this, but you know, recently. Um, you know, Mumia Abu Jamal uh, Jamal was um, hospitalized. You know, he has diabetes and he had a crisis and he had to be taken to the hospital. And he was, um, I mean, as frail as he was, you know, he was being guarded and everything. And they, I mean, they had him handcuffed to the freaking bed. You know, they handcuffed pregnant women to bed. You know what I mean? When they're jailed. You know, think I don't know what the thinking is. Like, is the thinking that you know, a woman who's you know in the middle of labor is going to be able to somehow run away while she's still in labor. You know what I mean? And um, and right. run off. I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, they're they're putting four-point restraints, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. on women who are, you know, pregnant and are, are giving birth, you know, um, who are women of color. And this is usually women of color that are experiencing this, you know. Um, I mean, there's just all of these horrible beliefs that um, – you know, that are out here about people of color and um, it just, it affects everything. It affects, you know, our health, it affects our job prospects, it affects how police view us when they come across us, you know, it affects everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just interesting because it talks about some of the headlines in the newspaper and this one in particular, it was reporting a homicide, a murder, and it was called Pittsburgh Progress. And the headline was, Only Another Dead Nigger, That's All. And, you know, I don't see much has really changed in the media. You know, the, you know, they try not to use the N-word. And it's just it's really interesting. Um looking at the public relations that they're trying to put in for the police department, you know, in, in, in an effort to deflect, you know, the police brutality that many of people of color um, experience. And so it's just, you know, this, you know, the N-word has been, you know, part of the vocabulary of a lot of our politicians, a lot of preachers and pastors, and it's just really interesting because when we tell people about um, Southern Baptists in particular and how their platform was based on racism, it's just, you know, they don't believe it until you give them the evidence and you allow them to go and read it themselves. But it's just, hmm, it's just it's really interesting, you know, how this country has not necessarily changed. And earlier, Raina was talking about different words that are used now. You know, they say thug and 
you know, animal and, you know, other little words like that to mean nigger. And when we complain about, you know, it's, it's like, you know, talking to a brick wall in many cases. And so it's just, I don't know. I find it a little discouraging, you know, um, basically right here, uh, Frederick Douglass in his autobiography, um, he was recreating a scene that he had with, you know, his master, if you will. And the master objected to him being taught how to read and write. And basically, you know, the master said, if you give a nigger an inch, he will take an L or which is a mile. A nigger should know nothing but to obey his master. Learning would spoil the best nigger in the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, you know, you hear stuff like that, you know, and, and not only from white people, you hear some of this from black people. I mean, have you heard some blacks making references to this right now? I mean, making references to that Frederick Douglass of, you know, recollection? Well, well, I'm talking about give them an inch and they'll take a mile. I mean, yeah, everyone's heard that saying before. Right. Right. And so it's just interesting because in the book here, he basically, he refers to um, Richard Wright, right, and his book. And basically, you know, this is one paragraph here that I thought was really telling. And it said, suddenly, the night watchman pulled his gun and asked, nigger, don't you like it? You know, he hesitated. I asked you, don't you like it? You know, he asked again, stepping forward. And the young man said, yes, sir, I mumbled. Talk like it then. Oh, yes, sir. And he said it with much heartiness as he could muster. Outside, I walked ahead of the girl, ashamed to face her. She caught up with me and said, don't be a fool. You couldn't help it. You know, the night watchman had boasted of having killed two Negroes in self-defense. And what happened was, you know, Richard White was walking one of the uh, maids, you know, home, you know, to to ensure her safety. And this particular night watchman um, hit the young woman on her buttocks. And so Richard was, you know, ready to defend her honor. And so that's Mm -hmm. when a guy pulled his gun. And so, you know... It was just interesting, and he felt ashamed to face the young woman because he couldn't defend her honor in a way that he really wanted to. Do you see some of the same things now? Um, When we started talking about, you know, this country and, you know, um, one of the quotes earlier in the book, it was talking about third-rate citizens. And basically they were calling black people third-rate citizens but treated like second-rate citizens. So it's just really interesting how we're not even considered, you know, second-class citizens by some people in this country. And, you know, I just say we just need to go out and, you know, it's time to put the marching boots on. I mean, there's nothing else I can really say about it. You know, times are changing. The demographics in this country are changing. You know, I remember reading as a young girl when I was like 12, 11, 13, somewhere in there, and it was talking about the browning of America. And, you know, there have been more 
there have been more articles talking about the browning of this country and how, you know, what was once the majority is now becoming the minority, which is interesting and which is why I feel that some of that fear that, you know, the so-called majority have, they fear being the minority. They fear people treating them as second- and third-rate citizens. And so it's just really interesting um, how all of this came about. I saw you call it, but you hung up, so it's interesting. But right here, it's talking about, um, you know, Benjamin Jefferson Davis. And, you know, he was the attorney of a young man that was on trial. And basically, you know, the white judge, <laughs> you know, was, was talking about, you know, an altercation that happened. And so basically, you know, the, the defendant's uh, attorney basically said, you know, he made a request, you know, to the judge, and he said, I object, Your Honor. The term nigger is objectionable, prejudicial, and insulting. And the judge said, I don't know whether it is or not. However, I'll instruct the witness to call him darky, which is a term of endearment. Mm -hmm. Does that sound like a term of endearment to you? Nope. (laughs) But but I guess that's how they saw it. I mean, I guess they thought maybe it wasn't as bad as, you know, calling someone the N-word, you know. Oh. <laughs> you I mean, know, I can't defend it. I, no. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's just like I said. The whole thing is, you know, when you go and you read this and this information, it's just so much that's left out, and it's left out on purpose. People withhold information on purpose, and it, it's just. I don't know, you know, that's why I enjoy doing the show because we're able to tell you about, you know, some of these things and, you know, encourage you to go out and read these books. And so, you know, it talks about Paul Robeson, and basically, you know, he graduated from Columbia Law School, and he never practiced as an attorney because, you know, a stenographer refused to work for him saying that I never take dictation from a nigger. Mm. Now, you know, how insulting is that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, Paul Robeson was, you know, definitely one of the people who were out here fighting for, you know, social justice, if you will, racial parity, and, and, you know, and much, much more. And so, basically, um, it's just talking about here Jackie Robinson. And basically, you know, he would have people, you know, yelling at him, telling him to go back to the cotton field where he belongs, or they're waiting for you in the jungle. And he would get hate mail telling him that he better not break, you know, Babe Ruth's record. And so, mm-hmm. it's just we've dealt with so much, I mean... You know, entertainers had to sleep in their cars because they were not allowed to sleep at the hotel. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. A lot of times weren't allowed in hotels because because the um, the idea was is that black women were um, 
you know, very um, lascivious. And so a black woman in a hotel meant that she was a prostitute. Right. Because what other the reason I, would she be there? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So, even just, so even just beyond, even just beyond race, like black women have to do, had to deal with these, you know, these uh, sexualized, you know, and racialized stereotypes apart from just, you know, being black women, you know, black, you know, so I decided to throw that out there. Exactly. You know, that's that respectability politics. That's why when we talk about the church and, you know, why there are so many women in the church, you know, this is another glaring example about the church being the only respectable place that a woman could go, you know, unescorted and still be seen as a respectable person. And so, yes. I mean, you know, well, technically what I was talking about wasn't respectability politics, but yes, we crafted respectability politics to deal with that particular issue, that perception of black women and black women. Right. But yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to ask you a trivia question, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe. So what famous NBA basketball player was suspended from school for hitting a white girl who called him nigger during a fight over a seat on a school bus in Wilmington, North Carolina? Huh. That would be Michael Jordan. Who else? Exactly. 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 You know. Uh, what what professional golfer was tied up in kindergarten by older schoolmates who called him nigger? <laughs> there's, there's more than one black golfer. No, I'm <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think he's black. I think he's Cavalasian or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You know that would be that so, would be Tiger Woods, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just it's interesting because I'm just giving you all some information about you know they even had to deal with this and you know when Tiger Woods won the Masters, you know white people were upset, <laughs> so all over the place, and you know you all have seen it on the comment sections on different stories, you know talking about people of color, black people. And so that was just a couple of examples. Um, you know, it talks about Audrey Lord here. And, you know, she had a white female lover. And basically, you know, um, it would be name-calling. And the boys would shout at her son, because she had a son, that they would say, they wouldn't say your mother's a lesbian, they'd say your mother's a nigger. You know, which was interesting. So um, it was just, wow, you know, when you look at it, you know, right here, Branford Marsalis said he can't remember a time he wasn't called a nigger. And you <laughs> Sorry, my dog. It's my dog. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's just, you know, when you start looking at all of these things, you know, it happens to people with money. It happens to people without money. So, and right. still goes on to this day. Right. So it's just really interesting, um, you know, cause it talks about the Civil War and the Republicans and their anti-slavery politics. And so, okay, so let's let's put this in context. All right, so you have people today that are claiming that today's Republicans were the same Republicans that were anti-slavery. That is not true. 
you know. I know what you're talking about. That's why I'm laughing. You know, that is not true. The Republican of those days are now considered Democrats. The Dixie, you know, you know, the Democrats of that day, the Dixiecrats, they are now considered Republicans. And so, you know, it's interesting because, you know, going back to the CPAC thing, I know, let it go, Kim, let it go. But I can't. I just really can't because, you know, you have a lot of people that are part of these different political action committees and these different groups, and even, you know, within the secular as well as the religious communities, you have people who are openly racist. And, you know, with the CPAC, you know, you know, American atheists going over to the CPAC and, you know, trying to recruit people who are openly bigoted. It just makes me wonder a lot of things. Because, again, you know, we don't hear them and we don't see them chastising people in this community who are openly racist and sexist and homophobic and, you know, all of those negative characteristic traits. But you're going to recruit more, you know, but you're trying to recruit some with money. You know, and so it's just interesting because, again, I I just, I'm trying to figure out what's happening over here. What are we really doing? What's really happening? You know, can you can you explain, Raina? Um, no, I have no explanation, except that except that the leadership of some of these organizations that are reaching out to CPAC are bigoted themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You and, know, and, and and where and where they aren't necessarily bigoted, they're indifferent right. to people of color and to people who um, are not affluent. You know, so. exactly. Well, I believe you know it does have a lot to do with class, and you know, but it definitely has to do with race. And you know, what's interesting is is that. You know what? I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to leave it alone today. So, moving on. So, going all the way back to Abraham Lincoln, I want you guys to look up the Black Republican Prayer, you know, and basically they wrote, you know, some of the racist Democrats. They wrote a Black Republican Prayer, you know, and basically I'll read this part of it. It says, May the blessings of emancipation extend throughout our unhappy land and the illustrious sweet-scented sambo nestle in the bosom of every abolition woman and the distinction of color be forever consigned to oblivion so that we may live in bear, I'm sorry, in bands of fraternal love, union and equality with the almighty nigger, henceforth, now and forever. Amen. Now, and that's a black Republican prayer? Um, yes, yeah, some of the racist white Democratic um, politicians wrote that, and it's called the Black Republican Play. That's interesting. Okay. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole book is interesting. That's why I'm encouraging people to go and buy it and read it. And, you know, it's a really good book. It tells you about the history, and there's so much that I want to tell, but, you know, we don't have that kind of time. So, you know, I'm just sharing, you know, little bits and pieces. That's why I know it's going to be either two or three parts, 
um, you know, explaining what's happening and and what's been going well, on. If you're going to talk about if you're going to talk about black Republicans, um, I encourage everybody to go um, and look at some of Frederick Douglass's available through the Library of Congress on their digital website because um, you know he um, he has some really um, really I mean he, of course he has you know some pretty famous speeches up there but there are a few lesser known ones up there too. And there was one address that he gave to a convention of black men, black men, I think black male Republicans actually. And um where he was talking about how um you know, just how like things get constructed in terms of like black people and he was saying talking about the usual tricks and some of the stuff that he was talking about to this audience are things that are still going on today. You know, talking about how, you know, black people are constructed as um, you know, I mean, of course, he didn't use the word racialized other and all of that, but basically how they were blamed for, for various things and how um, it was never about um, about systems, right, uh, of um, systems, right? It's more about, like, or structures, that it was more about, that it's always, uh, the narrative is always told to the black people that look like they're um, efficient in some way. And he goes in especially hard on um, the, 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 what you were saying before about the um, motive for racialized violence um, that, um, or, or what they were touting as the motive for racialized violence in the South, which was the rapes of white women. And he was saying, you know, how is it that all of a sudden after abolition, all these black men are raping all of these white women? You know what I mean? He was saying, you know, it, it boggles the mind to think that things would change that quickly. You know what I mean? That, um, mm-hmm. you know, that people who were allowed in the homes of these white people, you know, to take care of them, you know what I mean? To, to do all of these things would, um, would not be raping white people one day and then raping white women the next, you know what right. I mean? So exactly. he, um, he talks about that and he talks about some other things, but it's just really interesting to see some of the things that he would talk about. And, it's, um, and so I find it uh, even even more funny now, um, thinking back to uh, who they had represent uh, American atheists at CPAC, because uh-huh. I, I doubt very seriously that the uh, Frederick Douglass, the abolitionist, would have, uh, would have agreed with that speech. Or would agree uh-huh. with the, um, or would agree with the far right wing of the Republican Party um, that meets at CPAC. So, right. I decided to put that out there. Yeah. Oh yes, definitely. You know, CPAC, Libertarians, Tea Partiers. You know, and what's interesting in this book, you know, it talks about the National States Rights Party, and that's what you hear coming out of the mouths of a lot of the. Conservative Republican, Libertarians, and you know, so and Tea Partiers especially. But right here, um, it was talking about a rally that they had in Baltimore, and basically, you know, a spokesman for the National State Rights Party declared confidently that the most that most nigger lovers are sick in the mind and should be bound, hung, and killed. And so, you know, that's where, you know, started using the term, well, I mean, they were using it before, but, you know, the term nigger lover, you know, and it continues to be heard even to this day. 
And so it's just, it's, it's interesting because, you know, sometimes they call them wiggers, you know, and these are the white people who, you know, um, do not discriminate against blacks. You know, um, white people who well, I wouldn't have, say they wouldn't know. discriminate against blacks, but they definitely um, they behave um, in stereotypical black ways. So right. they they tend they tend to be true to to the prevailing stereotypes in the media, which are like the baggy pants wearing, um, right. you know, slang. You know, you know they use slang. They you know they may um, embrace you know, more hip hop, you know, um, than, you know, other forms of music. Um, they may have predominantly black friends, you know, so mm-hmm. they, you know, what, what would otherwise be known as a thug, you know what I mean? Or, um, criminal, you know, in, a, in every other, in, in, in every other situation. Um, yeah, that would be what most people term as a wigger, a white person who does all of those things. So. Exactly. Exactly. And so it talks about how, you know, um, the word nigger itself has turned into many racial insults. So it talks about, you know, um, people they call Arabs, you know, sand niggers. They call Irish people the niggers of Europe, Palestinians mm-hmm. the niggers of the Middle East. And, you know, basically they call bowling balls or black bowling balls, you know, nigger eggs. Um, and they call craps nigger golf, you know, and there's so many more, you know, watermelon nigger hams, and it's just some of this stuff I had never heard of. I was sitting here getting offended when I was reading it because I'm just looking at this, and it's just absolutely ridiculous. Watermelon is nigger hams? Yeah, nigger hams. Okay, I've never heard of nigger hams. I don't know why they would call it that, but um, I've heard them called nigger apples. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I had never heard of a lot of this stuff either. You know what yeah. I mean? I didn't know crap was called nigger golf. That's why I said I was getting offended while I was reading it, you yeah. know? Yeah, that's you crazy. Know? <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, um, it's just interesting. You know, they call gossip nigger news, you know, and heavy boots nigger stompers. And so... You know, just reading some of this stuff, and you know, it kind of explains what's something. Which is so crazy to me because it's like, okay, like, okay, let's go back to that gossip thing, right? Because women get uh, get uh, get um, you know, accused of of being gossips too. But like, if you go back and you read the hit, like the the notes and like the personal letters of a lot of you know white wealthy men. They gossip just as much, if not more, than the than women or you know black people that they accuse of being gossips. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, I mean, think about them calling black people gossips back then when there were newspapers and things gossiping about you know Abraham Lincoln's supposed you know black heritage or right. Alexander Hamilton's supposedly black heritage. You know what I mean? Like, get out of here. There's newspapers talking about these things. The black people are gossip? How's that work? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it talks about how the word nigger is basically a superlative, a superlative racial epithet, you know. And it was just going into, you know, how some people object to the word and, you know, how over time, 
you know, people's view of the word has changed. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it was just interesting, you know, reading a lot of this information that I absolutely did not know. And basically it was one journalist who was, didn't, you know, they decided they didn't want to be a part of a conversation that was being had because these people were basically comparing slavery to the Holocaust. And he refused to be, he said, I refuse to become an accountant of atrocity. And, you know, you hear us talking all the time when we talk about, you know, um, the paradox of race. And then you hear, you know, white people say, I was poor growing up. And it turns into oppression Olympics. And I've learned to not have those conversations and to not, you know, basically play that game with people because nothing good can come out of it. The thing that I always tell people who do that to me, first of all, I say, A, you're deflecting. B, um, you're still white. So you still have white privilege at the end of the day. You know what I mean? I was like, and then then if they really say they want to try to debate me, I just bring up all the statistics of how black people with, um, who are, you know, higher class based upon, you know, maybe income and, and, um, and education still don't fare as well as, you know, white people who are poor. You know what I mean? In terms of certain situations, like getting callbacks for interviews, you know what I mean? Or things like that, you know? So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll play that game. I don't, you can't win. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I yeah, you know, because whoever's playing me is not going to win. It's <laughs> not going to happen. Right. No. <laughs> and so it's just interesting because, you know, it talks about, you know, rappers or hip-hop, you know, uh, artists and comedians. And in particular, it was talking about Richard Pryor and the skit that he did on Saturday Night Live with Chevy Chase. And I'll probably, you know, a little later, but, you know, it was a word association test, right? So mm-hmm. Chevy Chase said white. Richard Pryor replied black. Chevy Chase, Bean, Pryor, Pod, Chase, Negro, Pryor, Whitey, Chase, Tar Baby. Pryor says, why did you, what did you say? And Chevy Chase repeated it, Tar Baby. And Pryor responded, Ofe. And it just went colored, redneck, jungle bunny, pepperwood, burrhead, cracker, spear jerk, spear chucker, white trash, jungle bunny, honky spade, honky honky, nigger. And Richard Pryor replied, dead honky. Right. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, I was yeah, trying I remember to remember what you, you were talking about. I was like, Oh wait, I think I know where I think I know where she's going with this. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was just really interesting because, you know, Richard Pryor was was able to get away with, you know, using, you know, the N word, you know, in his comedy routines. And, you know, it was you know, edgy. And, yeah. you know, so we're eating it up. But he you stopped know, after a while though. Exactly. Oh, yeah, definitely, because he saw what was happening, you know, there. And, you know, which is interesting because, 
anyway, I'm just going to move on. But, you know, it was talking about LexisNexis, and to those that aren't familiar, LexisNexis is basically a legal database. And, you know, I'm just going to put it there. But it was talking about, you know, court cases just, you know, in July of 2001. And it said the word kike appeared in 84 cases, wetback in 50, gook in 90, honky in 286, but... The word nigger appeared in 4,219 reported decisions. Okay, really honky? Like, what white people are going to court over honky? Seriously? Do they even know where that comes from? Like, do they know where that comes from? Like, that that word comes from white people coming to, to coming to black neighborhoods. And ghettos to find to find tail, basically, right? To to, to get to to find prostitutes or people right. willing to sell themselves. That's where that word comes from. Like seriously, I mean, if in in that equation, in that equation, you're still an owner. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you know. I mean, people, you know, as much as we, um, as, you know, we, criminal, we criminalize prostitution, but we tend not to criminalize pro- uh, Johns as much as we criminalize the prostitutes themselves. You know what I mean? So even in that, even when someone calls you honky, and even when it really applies, like, what if they just said to you, except that you're someone who has enough money to buy a person? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like insan- insanity to me. I, I I just I don't know. It it just kills me. It kills me. It, it just kills me when I find like white people who are like, um, who like to I guess try to make um these false equivalencies. You know what I mean? Between things like honky, and like you know um, you know nigger. You know what I mean? As though the, right. as though the um white pejoratives that exist are somehow, you know, equal and as insidious as the ones that exist for people of color. Right. It makes no sense exactly. to me. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because um, Martin Luther King wrote his letter from a Birmingham jail. He was talking about, you know, how blacks were humiliated and abused. And he said, your mm-hmm. wife and mother are never given the respected title Mrs. And under, basically under the etiquette of Jim Crow, your first name becomes nigger, your middle name becomes boy, no matter how old you are, and your last name becomes John. Right. Yeah, and so, you know, like I said, you know, this was eye-opening, this book. And, you know, I have to go and look some other information up because it gave some books um, some references, and I'm like, those are, like, really interesting books. Let me see if I can find them online for free. And if I do, I will share them, like I always do, on my wall and on the public page. And so it's just interesting. But, you know, it's talking about, you know, the comedians of the day and how they had the mixed audiences, you know, that would come to these shows. And so there was, um, you know, a skit that, you know, Richard Pryor had 
and it was called Niggers versus the Police, right? So mm-hmm. you guys go ahead and, and look that up. But, you know, the black people who would listen to Richard Pryor do that skit, you know, they would just be sitting there, you know, applauding, you know, because, you know, basically he's talking about the cops were, you know, basically, you know, coming down on people, coming down on black people and how they are degraded. And, you know, white people don't believe us when we tell them what the police are doing and how it affects our community. And so, you know, go and look it up. Go and look it up because it's it's a good skit and it makes perfect sense and it is, you know, cutting edge and it talks about what we deal with in our community. And so right here it talks about, you know, a gentleman by the name of Mill Watkins. And basically he was talking about Richard Pryor and how, you know, Richard Pryor introduced and popularized that unique, you know, uh, previously concealed or rejected part of African-American humor. So, you know, he brought the N-word into, you know, comedy. And what's so interesting about it is basically he still wasn't, you know, accepted by mainstream or by white society or white comedians. They considered him a clown. They didn't consider his commentary as satire, you know, which is interesting. And, I mean, even to this day, many black comedians are, you know, viewed as clowns. And, you know, it's just it's interesting. You know, they're not viewed as, you know, storytellers and, it's, it, but you well, know, now he's widely viewed as a genius, but at the time he wasn't. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so that's why you know the whole thing is just interesting. So let me ask you this: When people use the N word, black people use the N word, just you know, and they use it, you know, in the same context that you know, white some white people use against black people. Would that be viewed as self hatred or white supremacy? I mean, are are the two um, mutually exclusive in your in your experience? There you go. There you go. There you go. It was a trick question, you know. And I was like, okay, let me see. So what she said? I mean, I, my mind kind of went like, what? Right, right, right. <laughs> right, right, right. So like, is there any difference? And it's interesting because when you bring this up. You know, the most popular deflection, you know, that white people give us to some blacks is they'll say, well, what about black-owned black crime? You know, and, you know, this has been happening forever because they didn't just start talking about black-owned black crime. That's why when I talk to the audience, I tell you guys, this, this is nothing new. It's just it's the same game. Yeah, just and the whole... Right, and the, and that goes back to, I mean, that that whole um, discussion goes all the way back to when we were first enslaved as black people. Because, I mean, the, the, the part of the justification was is that we were uncivilized and that, you know, being enslaved would civilize us, you know. And so th- through that, dehum- through the dehumanization of saying that black people were, you know, um, they were, you know, criminal, that they, you know, that they just were running around, they didn't have the civilization, they didn't know how to act, you know, they, to them, justified doing all of the horrible things that they engaged in, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Exactly. And, that, and that's how and that's how we justify the criminal, how we treat criminals, you know, even today, or, or and treat black people today, you know, oh, um, you know, oh, they deserve it, you know what I mean? Or, right. You know, you know, or um, you know, why should why should we give them that, or or you know, why should we just allow them to to do this or to do that? It's like because they're human beings, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And what's interesting is, you know, when you talk about the rappers and some of the hip-hop artists and comedians and how, you know, basically the word nigger has become commercially valuable. You know, it, it's, a, it's a paycheck, you know, for some right. people you know, when, they, when they do their skits or they do their, you know, songs. And so I guess my question is, you have a lot of younger people, a lot of younger white kids listening to the rap music and, you know, they see some of these rap artists, you know, as their heroes. What's interesting is Eminem said that, that word is not in his vocabulary. He refuses to do a song with the N-word in it. That's what he said. I'm not real familiar with all of his songs because I don't listen to them. But, you know, what's interesting is, you know, you have a lot of young white kids listening to this type of music, and so they they want to say the N-word. Now, you know, do you think they're basically trying to emulate their heroes or, you know, or they see it as trendy? Why do you think some of these young white kids want to say that? Um, I mean, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, some of it, I think, is they think that it's, it's, it's edgy or dangerous, but it's just, I mean, for the same reasons that a lot of white people um, got into, you know, early jazz. You know what I mean, right? Or got into right. you know, you know, other forms of of black music and and culture, um, the bebop era. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, yeah. And and you know all of that sort of thing. It's all about, um, you know, they 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 have the the respectability factor, but a lot, but engaging in those kinds of things, um, gives them, um they can get like an air of dangerousness, right? Or like a, or, right. or, edge. Yeah, or an edge. Yeah. By participating in those things, because those things are still associated with people that are seen as, um, as dangerous and criminal and less than, you know what I mean? But at the same time, exactly. they can maintain their sort of respectability, you know? Exactly. Caller, I see you. Let me make a point and then I'll pull you into the conversation. And so, yeah, you know, exactly. And I understand, you know, what you're saying there. And, um, you know, it's just interesting, you know, when you go back and you look at all of this and you bring it up. And what Raina was talking about, about uh, the music, you know, jazz, including rock and roll. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the reason why Ike Turner has been inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has nothing to do with Tina. It has everything right. to do with the fact that he wrote the first recorded rock and roll song. Or what and is recognized so, as the first rock and roll song. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And that's why Ike Turner is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that's um, basically, I'm going to talk about that issue on the white, on the white face show. So I'm going to do a show called White Face. And so I'm going to talk about Big Mama Thornton. We're going to talk about a band called Death. As a matter of fact, I think I may reach out and have them call in, you know. Mm-hmm. And 
not Big Mama Thornton. I'm talking about somebody from the band. Well, yes, yes, (laughs) we realize Big Mama Thornton is long dead. Thank you. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) So, yeah, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Iggy Azalea and all of that. So that's going to be part of the White Face show. Let's pull the call around. We have to talk about Iggy Azalea. Uh, Talking about her. her. (laughs) I know what I'm going to say. Okay. I know, I know. 504, may we ask who's calling? Yes, my name is Brother Warren, calling from New Orleans here, and uh, just enjoying your conversation you're having. Hello, welcome. And, I, <laughs> and thank you, thank you. I just wanted to contribute to uh, some points on your, your thought process. You know, all over the Americas you find where black people, uh, people of African descent have influenced the whites. You find it in Cuba. Brazil, you find in Argentina, even Congo music was created by the black population in Argentina that has disappeared. And uh, the singing, you know, of course, the whites have modified the way you dance the tango, but that actual dance art form, the music behind it was created by black people. And if we don't watch ourselves, we're going to find ourselves in that situation with jazz, where right. many of us. Many of us are, are not appreciating the global impact that jazz has had, uh, that African-American jazz musicians have had on the world. But I also wanted to talk about the, the white youth in the United States. I was reading an article yesterday. There was a social media video that has appeared. Now, these students have graduated from the high school outside of Dallas, a place called Grapevine. And what has appeared was in 2013, they were rapping a song about lynching niggers. Yeah, I saw that. Yes, and we know in the University of Oklahoma uh, video of those students, they were talking about lynching. So we see now in the consciousness of the dominant society that lynching black people and brutalizing them apparently is still part of their folklore culture. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly correct. And that's the reason why, you know, it was interesting because there was an article that I posted last year when, you know, we were in the throes of Ferguson and, you know, Black Lives Matter, which they still matter today. All Black Lives Matter. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to encourage those young people to continue protesting, but they're also building a platform. So, you know, they're, they're, building a specific agenda, which is great. But, um, yeah, I mean, we've been dealing with this for a while, but the article that I posted was talking about how we needed to have, you know, a new anti-lynching movement. And Mm -hmm. I got backlash for some of the, you know, white secularists, white atheists in the community saying, why are you posting this? All you're doing is agitating people. And, you know, everything is fine. We're all equal. We live in a post-racial America. You know, um, you know, uh, I'm colorblind. And they start telling things like, well, when I became an atheist, my racism went away because they mm-hmm. want to basically tether racism to Christianity. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's just interesting. And you go back and you look at it, but, you know, some of the same people in this community that claim that they are for, you know, racial parity and all of these things, when we post about Black Lives Matter, when we post about Trayvon Martin, you know, um, you'll see some of the white atheist bloggers out there calling us whiners. 
and you know, yeah. and it, it's, it's just interesting, but you know, again, that's another reason why I have a problem with Dave Silverman going over to CPAC to recruit more of those crazy motherfuckers over here. You know, so, yeah. you know, I don't get yeah. it. So, yeah, yeah. We, we, we saw, yeah, we saw the same thing with socialism. Uh, the idea of socialism was supposed yep. to uh, mean that there was no racism in Cuba, for example, exactly. uh, which I have to admit has been a very progressive country for the blacks there, but there's still, there still is white supremacy. You still have in the socialist uh, revolution in Cuba, you still have a white supremacist mindset, and many other intellectual black Cubans have been coming forward. In fact, for a very long time, by the way, under the revolution, you were forbidden to even talk about racism and write about it. That's right. So it's only That's right. Yeah, and they don't even have the language in some time, in some context, you know, to yeah. even describe what's happening. Just like some people here have sort of lost that context too, because we're 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 reared on this notion that we're you know post racial and that you know that we you know we're in you know we're in a, in a period of equality. You know, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's unfortunate. You're right. But yeah, that's exactly what happened with the socialists. The socialists, you know, um, eventually had to um, give in to, you know, um, larger, the, the larger um, ideals of society um, in terms of, you know, bl- where black people should situate themselves. And let me conclude, so. I'm going to listen. One of the things we need to really study in African-American history and what our ancestors fought against more than many of the other things that connected with racism was paternalism. Mm -hmm. We fought against the idea that we need whites to godfather over us. And when you study the founding of black churches throughout the country during slavery, one of the complaints that the whites had was that the blacks kept trying to organize their own church within the white churches. And See, that was because we were fighting paternalism. Was, we didn't want to be over. That's right. Go mm-hmm. ahead and finish. I'm sorry. No, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, we, we, we overlooked that point today. We did not fight to assimilate ourselves out of existence with white people. We wanted to be on our own with ourselves and be left alone. And that is, right, and so that is we don't see that part. We don't need white overseers who are our friends, you know, uh, looking to them for help. That has created a sense of eternal dependency in our mind. Exactly, and, and you're absolutely correct. And you see that in communities all over the place, like, you know, we, within the LGBTQ community, you know, they were upset when we came, when we started having black pride, you know, within the secular atheist community. They got upset when we started creating, you know, black, Latino, Asian groups. And it, it's just real, really interesting because they want to claim they were the ones self-segregating. And I posted an article about a week ago, and it was like, you know, um, where the white people live. That was the name of the article. And it was talking about how they self-segregated and how it happened with, you know, the authority and the help of the U.S. government. You know, and it was talking about the redlining and urban planning and all of that. And it's just, it's, it's really interesting, but you're correct about the paternalism and, you know, that along with the white supremacy, I mean, 
you know, you have these different communities, and what they are are a microcosm of society as a whole, but basically mm-hmm. it's a mirror image. It's a mirror image. They use the same arguments, and even when we try to combat and, and knock down and deconstruct their arguments, you know, the, the arguments are still the same, and this is why, you know, sometimes I look at people and I say we're going in circles. We're going in mm-hmm. circles, and, yeah. you know, we have to look at this from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I'll continue to listen. All right. Okay. Well, I'm putting them back on hold here. So, okay. yeah, he made some great points there, you know, um, mm-hmm. about the paternalism, the patriarchy there, and, you know, the establishment of the black church. And, you know, like I said, the whole thing is interesting because we see it in all of these different communities. You know, and like I said, it's the same gangs. It's just a different group of people. The You know, the original people are long dead. But, you know, in this book, he talks about the last poets. And basically, he was talking about the song that they had was, Niggers Are Scared of Revolution. And so, yeah. have you heard that song? Oh, yeah. I mean... Yeah, I I would I would like to say who hasn't, but I'm I'm sure there's people who haven't. <laughs> but yeah, right. And so you know, yeah, you know, so it's talking about change because you know a right. full revolution is 360 degrees. That is right. a full revolution, which means you right. end up right back at the point where you started. And so mm-hmm. it's it's just interesting because you know. It's just I want people to read. I want you to read. I want you to go out here. I want you to find this information um, and be able to respond to people. But, yeah, you know, like I said, unfortunately, in many cases, you know, using the N-word has, you know, afforded some people to have a career, whether it's comedy or rap or hip-hop or what have you. And that's because, you know, it's supposed to be edgy. And it was so taboo at one point. And then now it's just become, you know, part of the vocabulary. And so it's it's just, you know, um, interesting how all of that, you know, came about. And right here it, it talks about in a book, it says, two additional considerations also warrant notice here, both of them having to do with the power of words to simultaneously correct, I'm sorry, simultaneously correct create and divide communities. What is wrong with me today? All right, let's try that again. Two additional considerations also warrant notice here, both of them having to do with the power of words to simultaneously create and divide communities. And so, you know, I thought that was interesting um, when, when he brought that part up because with some people it does, you know, it's, it's a term of endearment and it brings them together. But then, you know, you have other situations in which, you know, that word is used and, you know, all hell breaks loose, if you will. So it's it's just interesting, you know, how words are used and the context in when it's in, in, in which it is used. And so, um, you know, part of it here is was basically talking about, you know, roping off cultural turf. And so, you know, we did, we talked about cultural appropriation. And, you know, it's, it happened then, it's still happening now. 
And, you know, you hear a lot of these same arguments even to this day. One of the arguments now is talking about social justice and how some people feel that Tim Wise is co-opting, you know, and, and appropriating, you know, um, that particular part of culture, and white people will listen to him because he's white. But black people have been saying this all along. And, you know, you see some people talking about that even with hip-hop and rap. Uh, what's the name of that group? Macklemore? You know, he, he acknowledges oh, what He's not a group. He's just one person. Oh, okay. Unless you know I don't listen to it. So, you know, but um, remember him saying about, he was talking about his um, white privilege. And, I mean, I read articles about a lot of these people and never heard a song by them. I just, you know. Huh? Sorry, my cat is getting into some stuff. Hold on. (laughs) So, you know, it's just talking about, you know, how certain parts of black culture and black, you know, cultural expression have become commercially valuable. And so it's about the money. It's about the money. And, you know, the insulting part about it is, you know, the white artists that come and appropriate that, you know, portion of our culture, they get rich. They become Mm -hmm. extremely wealthy. Whereas, you know, the black people who were saying that, you know, not so much. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's where some of the resentment comes from because, you know, basically, you know, you have white people coming in talking about what we've been saying for decades and they get paid for it. And mm-hmm. so it's just interesting because, you know, we see some of that even over here in, you know, the atheist community and I'm just sick of it. You know, that's that's the best way that I can put it, you know, and basically here it says a counter strategy is to seed black cultural expression with gestures that are widely viewed as being off limits to white or to white. And so basically, you know, it talks about how white people who immerse themselves in black hip hop, you know, how they, you know, try to refrain from openly you know, saying the word nigger like they're, you know, black heroes. And so, because they feel, they feel that it may be perceived as a sign of disrespect. And mm-hmm. so, it's yeah, it's, it's just really interesting. You know, it's a really, really good little book. It's an easy read. And, you know, so I guess my question to you, Raina, is the problem the word itself or the context? I mean... It's the word itself, but it's more the context. I mean, the word doesn't exist without the context. You know what I mean? Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's more important um, to deal with white supremacy and the history of white supremacy and um, not just the history of white supremacy, but, like, the ongoing white supremacy <laughs> that we're dealing with and um, the fact that black lives are, are so... Um, are, are are just not even valued. I would say undervalued, except that I feel like that would be an overstatement. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, I think that's what we really need to deal with. That's why the word doesn't really bother me as, as you know, as, as a whole. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't want anybody calling me the N-word, you know, and I've been, I've been called the N-word and I had, I had, I was called the N-word right before someone tried to throw a full can of soda at my head from a moving vehicle. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, 
you know, I, you know, I'm, and I've, I've been called that, you know, at other various times too, that were associated with, you know, violence or near violence, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't like, I I mean, I, I definitely don't want to deal with that word, especially coming from people who are white and particularly people who are white who mean me harm. Um, but again, I mean, the word is not as disturbing as white supremacy. I think that's what we really need to deal with. Okay, so another question that I would have for you in the audience is, so when we condemn white people who use the N-word um, without regard to context, are we making the word nigger, are we fetishizing the word nigger? I'm, I'm sorry, you're going to have to repeat your question. I apologize. Okay. So, oh, that's okay. So I say when we condemn white people who use the N-word without regard to the context, so no regard to the context at all. You know, are we now making the word nigger a fetish? Are we fetishizing the word? Are, are well, are black people fetishizing the world or are people on the hall, on the whole? Well, I'm just as, as a whole, you know, when we condemn whites for using the word period and we give, you know, we don't take into consideration context, or, you know, a situation, but just condemning them for even saying the word, it doesn't matter how or when, you know, at that point, no. you know. Our of course, and I don't feel like we're fetishizing it. I feel like, this is how I feel about that. I feel like, um, where, I feel like people who are, I feel like people who are uh, oppressed um, mm-hmm. have the right to determine, have the right to determine what is okay. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Not the people who are who are, are in an oppressive position. Um, I think, you know, it would be like it would be like me saying that, like, okay, if like say say Jewish people were to use the word kike, you know what I mean, in in the same way that Black people use the N word, you know what I mean. Right. Um, you know, it's not for me to tell them that they're wrong for telling me not to use the word kike. You know what I mean. Right. It's not for it's mm-hmm. not for me to tell them that if they if they want to use it that way that's up to them. It has a particular meaning in a particular context among them that it doesn't have when I or somebody else would use it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's just and that's just and that's just the fact. I mean, you know, there there are things that people call me within my family that if somebody called them called me that outside of my family, I would I would be upset with them. Because they don't right. have, they don't have the same relationship to me. They don't they don't mean me well, you know. Or I right. don't know that they mean me well the same way that I know, you know, say you or someone else who might use that word with me. You know what I mean? Would you right. know? I know that you mean me well. I know that you don't mean me harm. I know that you're not saying that I'm um, subhuman. You right. know what I mean? Exactly. So so no, absolutely not. We're not fetishizing it. And um, anyone who makes that argument uh, can go straight to hell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that's, that's a non-existent place because I'm because I'm you know an atheist, but you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, it's just interesting because, like I said, by reading this book, it just makes you think. It makes you think. Yeah. It makes me think about things that I have never necessarily um, thought about. You know, and just putting yeah. it in context. And it encourages me to go out and research more. And it's interesting that you would 
you know, use the word tyke. Remember in Michael Jackson's song, and he was like, and I think it was black and white. He was like, something don't kike me, don't you black or white. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was a big controversy about that. And so they went in and, you know, dubbed over that part, you know. But, you know, it's interesting. But, you know, I'm going to read this part of the book here. It says, as we have seen, nigger can mean many different things depending upon, among other variables, intonation, the location of the interaction, and the relationship between the speaker and those to whom he is speaking. Generally, a reference to people of color, particularly blacks, Nigger can refer to people of any hue, you know, and, you know, I'm going to get to that in a minute. But um, basically, you know, it was talking about a sociologist by the name of John Hardikin, and he said he reported that whites or poor whites in Detroit often refer to their white neighbors as niggers. Typically, they mean the word as an insult, but they do not necessarily mean for it to be a racial insult. Responding to an inquiry about a white-on-white deployment of nigger, one of the participants in Hardikin's study remarked, he's a nigger, man, and you know what I mean by that. He's an asshole, and it doesn't matter whether a person's black or white, orange or plaid, he can still be a nigger if he runs his mouth like that asshole. Um, Another Detroiter um, observed to Hardikin echoed this sentiment, you don't have to be black to be a nigger. Niggers come in all colors. And then the gentleman went on to say, we are all colored. There's about a hundred shades of white. And I thought that was quite interesting, you know, um, that he would say that there. But, you know, it's like, I just want you guys to go out here and do some research and, you know, follow it up. And, you know, next week we'll talk a little bit more about it. But um, basically, they were talking about Oliver Wendell Holmes or Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. And his observation was, a word is not a crystal, transparent and unchanged. A word is instead the skin of a living thought that may vary greatly in color and content according to the circumstances and the time in which it is used. So there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. Like I said, just go and look up the history, and it explains so much. And like I said, this is a small book. It's a real easy read, and that's what I'm saying. It may be two parts. More than likely, it would be a three-part, because I just want to make sure that I put a lot of information out here. But you go to Amazon, and, you know, you should be able to get it. I think I bought this book for, like, two bucks or something like that. So, yeah, get out there, do research, and, you know, again, thank you guys for supporting me. Thank you for being understanding. Um, You know, I needed to take some time off to kind of deal with a few things and get my health back in order. So that's what we have been doing, but we've also been working, again, on the conference. And, again, the conference will take place in October of this year in the DMV area, and that's where we'll be headquartered permanently for the national, um, the yearly conference. In mid-year, April, May of 2016, we will have a smaller, you know, uh, conference or summit 
and it will be in Philadelphia the first year. So we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to, you know, visiting other cities. But, yeah, the national one in October will be permanently based in the DMV. If you have any questions, if you all are in that area, you can shout out to Raina, um, Raina, and you can shout out to MC Brooks, Marcus. You can also shout out to Jen Taylor, as well as myself, and Merrick Malise. So we're putting all of this together, and like I said, we're just looking forward to it, you know, moving social justice part two, and it, it's going to be an exciting time. We're definitely looking forward to it and looking forward to meeting you guys. And like I said, you know, there's more to come. We will be conducting interviews on Blog Talk Radio. Those shows will not be live. So these will be, you know, private interviews, and we'll release them, you know, and our blog is coming. So, you know, all of that, you know, we're we're pulling everything together and utilizing our resources and social media to get the information out because we know the direction that we're trying to go in. And one of the things that I want people to understand is while I am a humanist and a free thinker who just happens to be an atheist, the center of my world, the focal point in my life, is not atheism. And neither is the object of people of color beyond faith. The center point for people of color beyond faith is social justice. It's not atheist-centered. It's social justice-centered. While one of the spokes you know, in that particular wheel, maybe, you know, talking about atheism and another one may be talking about humanism. You know, we're going to be talking about a, a number of things, environmental justice, you know, green energy, you know, racial parity, you know, sexism, you know, intersectionality, feminism, you know, LGBTQ. There are many, many spokes, but I want people to understand and to know that this is not atheist-centered. We just happen to be atheists and free thinkers and humanists and and secularists and in some cases faithiest. You know, you have your atheists out there. I mean, you know, I won't say that they're interchangeable, but with some of us we consider ourselves more than just one. So, you know, like I said, um our focal point is social justice, our focal point are issues. Our focal point is not particular people or organizations. And, I, and you know, I feel that I have to clarify that and make sure people understand this. I know I was saying it all last year and, you know, this year as well, but I think I just need to clarify and make it crystal clear that this is not about specific people. It's not about specific organizations. It is about social justice and reaching out to the greater community. It's about improving the lives of others as well as improving our lives and, and you know, finding some kind of way to bring about a level playing field. And so I just think it's important that people understand that um, if you have any questions about people of color beyond faith, you can send us an email, peopleofcolorbeyondfaith at gmail.com. Again, people of color beyond faith at gmail dot com, or you can send an email to moving social justice at gmail dot com. What about Again, the other email? It's on POC beyond faith at gmail too. Yeah. 
Yeah, TLC Beyond Faith. So, I mean, we had all these email addresses. They each do something a little different. But, um, yeah, definitely, um, you know, reach out to us. My email address is blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. Again, blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. And, you know, I thank the people that came out to the conference and, you know, other events that I advertised last year. And we appreciate you. And like I said, thank you all for being patient with me. But I want to make sure that you all know any announcements about people of color beyond faith and moving social justice, you will hear about it on this show or the People of Color Beyond Faith podcast or webcast or Twitter account and page. You know, so I just want to make sure that you all understand that, you know, uh, we basically put the information out there. So on that note, Raina, I think I am done. Did you have any more clothing notes that you want to give to the people? Uh, no, not at this time. Just, you know, um, all I can say is, you know, friends don't let friends listen to, um, listen to uh, Iggy Azalea. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so there you go. Um, one book that I did take note of um, that I want you all to also take a look because I need to order this because I haven't read this. Um, it's by Richard White. Or Wright. Good Wright. Lord. Yeah, I was like, goodness. Richard Wright and the name of the book, Ethics of Living Jim Crow. Again, Ethics of Living Jim Crow. I'm going to order that today. And mm-hmm. in that you know, part of the book when it was talking about that particular story, um, Richard White was talking. Uh, Richard Wright. Right. Talk, yeah, I know. I'm gonna get together. Uh, I'm not used to being up this early talking to folks anymore. But um, you know, he, <laughs> he was talking about working at a factory, and you know, he would have lunch, you know, with his coworkers. And, you know, one white man that or young man that he used to have lunch with regularly, Richard Wright was asking him about the business and how it ran. And so the white man got upset with him and was like, you know, are you trying to get smart? And basically from that point forward, he was harassing Richard Wright until Richard Wright decided that he was going to quit the job. And he quit the job and went on to another you know, another position somewhere else. But it was really interesting, so I need to pick this book up. So, again, the name of it is Ethics of Living Jim Crow. Had you heard of that book before, Raina? I think I have it in my, um, in my, uh, you know, my wish list. Just haven't gotten around okay. to it yet. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I made some really, really good notes about this book here. So, again, like I said, um, when you hear people talking about, you know, a revolution, it, it basically symbolizes change. And it's not always forced change, even though there are some people that you have no choice but to kind of force some changes. So anyway, Raina, thank you very kindly. I would like to thank the caller, you know, that called in to speak with us, um, the people that are listening live and the ones that are listening to the archive, bear with me. It's going to take me a minute to get used to this schedule and not be tongue-tied early in the morning. I mean, we can maybe think about, you know, doing uh, record pre-recording the show if you want. But, I mean, this works. Yeah, I like people. I like people. Summer. people like to have their day, you know. 
exactly. Exactly. Well, like I said, I just turn around and, you know, take a nap. Oh, so I can go ahead and talk about this real quick. We're going to be doing a number of social justice projects again this year, and we definitely will be going out and a number of other things. And so here in Chicago, I am going to sponsor a plot in the community garden in the name of People of Color Beyond Faith. And, yeah, I'm going to designate it for senior citizens on, you know, a limited budget, but also senior citizens that may be raising their grandchildren or great-grandchildren so that they can have fresh vegetables and herbs and things like that because, um, yeah, in our community here, you know, I can't tend the garden because, like I said, we have issues with the hand and also the sun is the enemy. I pretty much have to stay out of it. So I can't physically. What we will do is make a donation to make sure that everything that is produced from that plot of land goes to good use. So we are out of here. Just want to let you guys know about that. You all take care and have a good Sunday now. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.